Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Galley West, our first time having a bad talk in this room. Thank you to all of you who have uh, created such a big crowd tonight that we needed to move to a different room. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you for being a part of our growing community. This actually uh, is the uh, final talk of our fourth full year of bad talks. So my name is John Kilfoyle with United Marble. And back in 2012, um, in uh, conjunction with uh, Paul Wright uh, and Linda Kochman from KRH Cabinet Makers, we decided to create um, a community that we would uh, get together four times a year and have a talk um, that was based around a set topic with several panelists put together and a lot of crowd interaction um, that would sort of be the alternative to a traditional networking event where everybody kind of gets together and kind of focuses on passing out as many cards as you can in a set amount of time and guzzling as many beers as you can in a set amount of time. The whole idea here was to actually have a, a topic and kind of come away maybe having learned something or uh, maybe met somebody who can kind of help you with an issue that you know we're all kind of facing in our businesses. So um, it's been going strong now for four full years. Next year is going to be our, our fifth year. Um, and kind of how Bad Talks works is it's a sort of a self-sustaining model where we're relying on our attendees to suggest topics, maybe some uh, pain point for you in your business, something that's not really clicking or you need some help with. Um, and also the same goes for um, panelists. So we are always looking for um, people with new ideas, people with new thoughts that want to, um, you know, kind of share, share their expertise um, kind of among their peers. So we've got a great, great panel uh, put together. Um, typically how Bad Talks works is we have, um, we have four talks per year, quarterly. Um, we'll be starting up again in the fall. Two of the talks are sort of nuts and bolts talks where we, we get together and we talk about kind of real issues like, like, like our topic tonight about getting the word out. Um, and then our other two topics are generally more of kind of a, you know, an abstract topic, uh, you know, sort of along the lines of uh, kind of relationships in business or different, um, you know, uh, abstract topics within, within the builder, architect, designer community. So um, I'm all done talking. Thank you very much for coming. Um, if you have a topic suggestion or a panelist suggestion or uh, anything, please reach out to us. Um, you can do so on our website, badtalks.com. Um, I see a lot of familiar faces and, uh, and several new faces uh, in the crowd tonight that I know have a lot to say. So definitely please uh, speak up. Let yourself, let yourself uh, be known. I will be running around with this microphone throughout the night. Um, just hang on to your question till I get to you with the microphone. Um, that way everybody can, can kind of hear what you have to say. So thank you very much for coming and enjoy. I don't know. I think I'm on a mic already. Um, so thanks. Uh, my name is Kyle Hepner. I'm with uh, New England Home Magazine, which as you know, covers all the beautiful work that most of the people in this room do or contribute to or sell something that goes into. If I can dangle a participle first thing off. Um, we obviously are a publishing company and one of our main things is to present your work to the design interested and well-heeled public, uh, which we work very hard to do, but we were also very delighted to be asked to be part of the group producing the Bad Talks 
uh, because it further hooks into our mission of not only covering the high-end construction and design industry, but also being a real partner in a way. Uh, and so this is an awesome way to really connect and feel like we're doing something very substantive that way. Um, so uh, thanks, John. Thanks, Paul. Uh, thanks, Linda, for having us be part of it for the past four years. And uh, as John mentioned, we'll be looking for season number five coming up um, after tonight. Uh, and with any luck, you will all have lots of good ideas uh, to contribute to that. But without further ado, uh, the reason we have such a huge crowd here uh, in this really cool space, which I really enjoy, is because tonight's topic is something that is on everybody's mind pretty much all the time. Um, and for a group of people like the ones we have here tonight um, in this room, it tends to be late at night and laced with profanity because it's usually like, how the am I going to do all of this marketing and PR when I'm just trying to get my clients happy and run my business? So these four folks uh, have been assembled to share their tips and tricks and expertise and history of how you can, in fact, do that without the profanity um, and kind of... I, I can't offer... All right. Well, Julie, yeah. Julie will handle the profanity part. Uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, the, thing, the point is, in fact, you can do it, and there may be things that you ought to be doing that you're not. There may be things that you think you have to do that, in fact, you don't. Uh, and so there is no one-size-fits-all answer to this, but I think we're going to get a very good overview of a lot of possible ways to deal with the topic tonight. Um, as I mentioned, and as John mentioned, we have a wonderful panel assembled, uh, representing lots of different facets of this question. Uh, starting far away from me, we've got Jennifer Driscoll, who is the president of Broadview Marketing, and uh, whom many of you know from her work with the IFDA and a number of your colleagues in the trade. Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, we've got Mally Scott, who is principal of Mally Scott Design, an interior designer and also textile designer, uh, and also social media and video blog person extraordinaire. And so Mally will be talking about a lot of things, but particularly about the online aspects of these things, because that's one of her main uh, thrusts for her own PR and marketing. Um, Mark Hutker, architect with Hutker Architects down on the Cape. Uh, has been a longtime fixture at the Bad Talks, has actually spoken with us a couple times, at least once before, I think a couple times before. Um, and also, uh, and I think, is your colleague Julie here tonight? Julie could not be here. Julie tonight. could not be here. It's a wonderful marketing director, um, Julie Bangert, um, who has worked with Mark a lot. Uh, but Mark is one of these people who has been kind of wrestling with this concept for quite a long time, uh, starting very early with a very small firm that has gradually grown larger and larger and larger. Um, and he's been kind of dealing with what that means uh, and how marketing can, in fact, affect your long-term kind of prognosis and uh, strategy. Um, so we're very happy to have Mark here. And finally, we have Julie Brown, who is a business strategist in this area. Again, many of you may know her. Um, and also, we'll kind of, Julie is really good because she kind of branches out and deals with it beyond just kind of traditional marketing PR, but more kind of what are the things that you as a person can do to kind of cause your business to grow and get your name out there and get yourself in the public eye. Uh, so we've got a lot of people from a lot of different perspectives here. 
And in fact, after the slightly overlong introduction, I will bow out and start letting these folks talk about what they're here to talk about. Um, as you will know, if you've been to these bad talks before, we like to keep them very interactive. Um, so there won't be a question and answer period at the end. We would love it if during the talk, if you have something to chime in about, uh, or you have a question, just wave and catch John's eye, and he will bring you the microphone, and then you can talk, because we like to have these things evolve as a real conversation back and forth. Um, because that's really what we're here for, is to jointly grapple with these topics that face everybody. Um, so, that being said, um, I will kind of throw it to our panelists, just kind of what, to start off with, what really counts as marketing and PR, or what is that supposed to do for you? And anybody who wants to jump in, feel free to jump on that one. Well, I would qualify it as anything that brings you business. I mean, that's why you're making the investment, and that should be your main priority. Um, any opportunity to tell your story um, and engage with people and build trust as you are um, engaging with them um, gives you an opportunity to hit that target market and bring you business. Oh, can you? <laughs> oh, am I we have, no, we have some technical difficulty. Oh. <laughs> so. I think we're am working on, on the, the yeah. sound for the moment. Are you, are you on? Are you glowing? I might not be on. <laughs> oh, okay. There, okay. Am I on now? No. No. Oh, go to someone else. <laughs> you're next to you're, you're, you're so important. Like ladies first. Yeah, yeah, ladies first. Uh, well, I don't, I mean, I don't do, uh, my firm does not do marketing and PR, I do business development, so I always look at it through the lens of relationship building. So I, I lean on people who do PR and marketing as a way to back up what I'm saying when I'm building relationships. Uh, I use it as a tool after I've uh, met somebody and started the relationship to keep the relationship going. It's, it's, it's a tool in my tool bag um, as far as furthering a re the relationship and fostering the relationship with information about who I am and what we're doing um, and what might be important to them. But I always look at things through the lens, the lens of relationship building. Yeah. And I mean, traditionally, there are a number of ways of doing that. Like we're under. You the voice of God. <laughs> I'd love to have this in the office. We should always do it in this room. Yeah. Sort of, um, we are in a new space, and one of the unfortunate things is we do have a very echoey floor and ceiling, so we'll have some sound difficulties tonight, and we apologize for that. But uh, we'll make it work as best we can. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've got, there are a number of ways uh, to do this. I mean, there is traditional advertising, there is online sponsored content, there is actually press coverage, which would be my part of it. Uh, social media, we've talked about, you know, and then there are events and personal things. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about uh, 
Do you want to start with the person to person? Because that seems to be the thing yeah, that yeah. comes up most favorite. often. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the showing up is 90% of, is it 90% of making things happen in your life? And I think from my perspective, from a tiny, tiny little company, um, as soon as I reveal myself as a real human being and um, something that's beyond the name, people, um, well, sometimes they don't like you and there's nothing you can do about that. But if you're pleasant, and I think we talked about that, Mark. Accent helps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to call well, it like I see it. True. I mean, accent helps. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> well, yeah, it is real, but um, the thing is that Real is such a good word because um, if you reveal your authentic self um, to your customer, you can talk about anything in the world, but they are getting an insight into you as a brand or a company. And um, then next time they are hit with an ad or your name in the press or whatever, it won't just be the mention of a company, it'll be a real human being. Mm -hmm. I always say when you're meeting people, try to forget what you do for a living and remember who you are. And you're going to connect with people and if you share pieces of yourself and your authentic self and what is important to you and your history and your goals and, the, and your experiences, you connect with them on such a deeper level that, that that moves the needle on the relationship so much faster than just talking about that's work. That's why I love Instagram, because by the time you meet someone that's followed you on Instagram, they already know, like, 5% of the person, they know what your dog's like, right. right? And so it's, it's a beginning of a conversation um, that doesn't have anything to do with architecture or interior design right. or whatever, and a friendship is beginning to be built. Those are the best business relations. Well, I have to say, in this business, you think about the investment that people make in the services and the products that we all offer. And it's a huge investment. And there has to be um, a sense of security before making that investment. Yeah. And um, one thing that we discovered with a lot of our clients is that very popular recession that we all had and we all survived mm -hmm. um, somehow. Um, what happened during that time is that a lot of margins were exposed in our industry and the internet was more and more popular and people decided they could educate themselves on the internet. Um, and as we all know, anything can go on the internet, whether it's true or not, and they form an opinion and we are always battling that opinion. But what is happening is now that that has happened in our industry. Our industry has changed and people want to have a relationship with the architect, the builder, the designer, even down to the supplier of the showroom that they're going in because they want to feel that they're making the best decision. Not only you know, is it the right amount of money to spend, and, and we all know there's those clients that don't care about the amount of money, but is it the right product for me? What is it gonna do for me? How is it gonna last for me? And the, you can give them facts as the day is long. If you don't start with building a relationship with each of them and talking to them as if they were a human being, as if they were a friend of yours, you're not gonna build that relationship. They're not gonna trust you, um, and they, they're gonna move on to the next 
person that is willing to spend that little bit of extra time with them and make them feel safe and secure in that relationship with you. And so, and it's the simplest thing that you could do. It doesn't cost you any money. It may cost you a little extra time. But it also allows you to evaluate that client and if it's somebody that you want to work with. Is that a good relationship for you to have or is that going to be the PETA client that we all don't want and, um, and that you want to move away from. So that, and that's an important period for both you and the client is when you first meet. And now we're going to let Mark, yeah, we're Mark not going to sure. dominate the conversation. <laughs> I'm loving this, this is really great. This happens when you get a bunch of women yeah, on the right. show. Like, Tell them you well, this hooks into a nice good, thing. Because yeah. I thought that well, was, was so, yeah. I thought that was so good, Mark. I'm just going to put this here now. Okay. Well, you know, so for me, I'm up here with a bunch of professionals who do this for a living. And, you know, I grew up in Indiana in a cornfield, and I've been learning everything along the way empirically, kind of by testing the market and seeing what really works to attract the kind of clients we want. And I always love Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. And I'm always kind of like, why, why marketing, you know? And so I'm always like, at first it was like to stay afloat. I, I just need the next project. And then it was like, I want to enlarge my ecosystem. I want to work in larger regions because I might have more uh, projects to be able to do. Then I thought, gee, was, I'd like to do some institutional work, so I wanted to market differently that I might not just be doing houses, but that I might want to do other building types. Then I said, gee whiz, you know, if I really want to perform and grow a business, I need to like get more projects, so that's another good tactic in marketing, right? But then as we've evolved, and I like that word, uh, we're focused more on the kind of clients we get, the quality of design opportunities we get, and the kind of values that we share with the customers we're attracting. And so I think for me, it's been kind of an evolution of kind of thinking much broader about the kind of work that stimulates me personally as an artist, as well as keeps a lot of interesting things in front of our, our, our staff, because it's really, uh, that's what helps attract people to my firm. That's what helps uh, create a really awesome team. It's what helps us create the brand ambassadors whom they have become. And uh, it all adds up to what I just call marketing as a mindset. I mean, that's how we talk about it in our company, that it's just as an everyday affair. And I will talk about what that means when, as far as collaboration when we get to that part. Yeah. Well, that's actually, in a way, that's kind of a good hook in because so far we've been talking about marketing as if it's something that comes from this company or this industry out to the world, which is a big part of it. Um, but the relationships that we're talking about are not just with the public. The relationships can often be with other people in your industry, and that actually is something else that uh, you had mentioned at one point, Mark, that actually a huge number of your referrals that result in projects don't come from necessarily the website or an ad or something public, but they actually come from colleagues with whom you have worked. Your marketing dollars, right? You want to know what's effective. If you're a business person, you want to know that, right? So what we did was we, we just keep track. Any single prospect that calls our office, we find out whether, you know, how did you first see us? You know, did you see us on the cover of Kyle's magazine? Or did you see us, uh, I had to do it. I said, it's all about Kyle, right? It's like, come on, you know? Pitch number one. Or yeah. pitch number one, you count them, OK? It's like an opportunity, can't it? We do very subtle comments. 
Oh man, now I lost my sense. I said, where was I headed with that? You know? Where do the projects come from? Yeah, so where do the projects come from? We do keep track of the website, uh, Instagram, job sites, attorney referrals, uh, closing, you know, uh, the bankers, uh, realtors, uh, builders are one of our biggest referral bases. And what I've come to learn is, is that uh, the best projects, the most uh, fruitful projects come from people who we have relationships with in all of those ways. And so when we keep track of why people contact our office, we have this huge graph of where it's going. And I'm spending my marketing dollars in a balanced way, not just on ads and on the preparing books and writing books, which take a lot of energy, but on uh, events uh, and showing up and meeting. And all of you people over all these years have been a really great part of what we've done because we've we're working together now, and it's that, that collaborative part of it which is, makes marketing really fun. Yeah. And I think that also is a good segue into people understanding the importance of a database and the importance of having historical data within your office about the people that you're networking with, um, your past projects, where projects are coming in from, the hit rate on those projects from certain people or from certain outlets, whether it be House or Instagram or whatnot. So you can begin to wait a pipeline of work that comes in as well. If a lead is, if you have three leads from House and you know that generally you get 22% of the, the work from House, that's your hit rate, then you can sort of weight your pipeline as far as the likelihood of you getting those projects. But the database, uh, it helps do that, but it also, for you to be able to click on a person's name within your database and know all of your interactions with them and what you've talked about and what their likes are and what their dislikes are and have a reason to reconnect with them every 12 weeks, there's power in being able to do that and have a database tell you to do that um, and schedule it because that's how you keep the relationships mm -hmm. moving forward. You're moving the needle constantly on those relationships. To your point, we often go in to consult with clients and we ask them the typical question, you know, uh, what do you feel has been working for you? What hasn't worked for you? And how do you know? And um, of course, I already know all the answers, but <laughs> the, the, the situation becomes apparent. And, and, and this isn't just one client, it's all of my clients. They, they don't have time to track it. They don't task anybody on the staff to track it because quite honestly, let's face it, we're all too busy doing the pitch, getting the job. As soon as we get the job, we're excited about it. We're ready to move on. We don't want to take five, ten minutes to note how did that happen? What really was effective in that process? And that should be part of your discussion with any new project that you bring on. Like, what was the key decision factor here for you to work with us? We really want to know and we want to make sure that we carry that throughout the job. And I think they feel that, that that's um, an important part of your relationship with them. And so that's an empowering question for you to ask them. But um, both to Mark and Julie's points is if you don't keep that information somewhere, you're not gonna know what your next marketing step is gonna be. And often in October, what I'm doing busy um, is meeting with clients and finding out what is your budget for next year? Let's evaluate this past year. What worked, what didn't work and why? And if it's with a new client that's not kept that information in the past, they can't answer those questions. And a whole year and a whole investment in marketing has gone by and that data is lost. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's very key to figure out before you invest in your next year what you're going to put in. And I would think even more so, you know, if it's a smaller firm and you don't have an outside marketing consultant.
do it yourself uh, because then it's more of your time and money personally Absolutely. that's going into that yeah. I wanted to just talk because that's a, I think a nice segue into I think one of the great uh, points I made 10 top 10 marks top 10 points I'm happy to go through them but I'm going to take them one at a time here but being a great collaborator I think is one of the key aspects of being attractive in the industry which brings on that referral kind of network that I'm talking about and you know I think the story you were talking about I was on a Saturday because early in my career I was always on the job sites more than I, I missed that actually in this part of my career but I was always out on Saturdays seeing what was going on and of course especially in spring when everybody's late and trying, they're, they're all working there and I was talking to a painter a house painter and uh, I got to know him a little bit, and I'd known him from around town, and, and he's a really nice guy, but, you know, not many architects stop and talk to the painter very often, you know, but I said, where do the buildings rot? And, like, you know, where do they fail? And I learned more about how to get, keep water moving off the building and not causing rot from him. But he said to me after that conversation, he goes, hey, I have a friend that's thinking about building a house. You know, you think he'd be, it's over on Oyster Pond. You think he'd be interested in that? I'm going, Oyster Pond, geez. Next thing you know, this guy's <laughs> best friend from, you know, boarding school is, uh, you know, calling me. Ended up being one of the best clients of all time. And he is probably the one client that's referred us to more future clients ever. And, you know, I think about just being a regular person, appreciating what's going on. A, I learned. Look at all the things I learned from him, okay, because I was open and asking him questions. And B, it's just a relationship that, you know, if he's having a beer with somebody, he's like, hey, you know, this guy's not so bad. He's like, give him a call. You for know, so, yeah, for an architect, right. But I think being accessible and being a really good collaborator in that way uh, is a, uh, a learning uh, relationship, I think, is very healthy yeah. and helps marketing. So basically, part of the good news is all of you now have done step one simply by being here. Right. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, but that actually brings us to another thing, um, you know, this idea of... Uh, yep, company. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Julie, say something. Yeah. Can I get some of that? <laughs> that didn't go through, did it? <laughs> Maybe your mic needs some help now. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping. Yeah, right. Uh, does that sound better now? Great. Oh, actually, it was, um, you know, part of this, you know, this, this kind of, again, the building of the relationships and kind of make, putting yourself out there, I mean, it refers both to the public and to the trade, and, you know, in addition to being a good colleague, which is, I think, what Mark was talking about, and playing well with people, which yeah. means they'll want to work with you again, which I think we'll get back to, uh, but it's also a matter of our panelists here tonight have also earned a good mark because they're doing one of those things that you ought to be doing, which is always say yes to opportunities to put yourself out there both in front of the public and in kind of professional situations. So if you want, guys want to talk a little bit about that. I, mean, I always tell my clients that any opportunity that you can set yourself up as an expert in this business, all the better. And, and look, we all know 
a lot of the same information. But if you're willing to stand up in front of a crowd and say it, guess what? You're the expert. And that <laughs> narrows down the field for a lot of people in the audience of who they're going to work with in the future. And I think that is so important. And it's so easy. And you have several opportunities to do it. You have it on social media. Get on those blogs. Um, I will tell you this, everybody's asking me, you know, what kind of social media should I do? I will tell you, I don't believe that Twitter is very strong in this industry from the point of being a designer, builder, architect, or supplier. It's not the type of conversation you would have on social media to bring somebody in. Instagram is great, right, Melly? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, but Facebook. You can't just throw things out you there can. and you expect can. to build an audience. You right. have yeah. to talk to people. You have to comment, ask questions. Have the conversation. Have the conversation yes. and then that builds trust and builds audience. Yes, and then they call you. They do. They watch you on social media. They watch how you engage with others. They stalk you, believe it or not, before they invite you yeah. into their home. They want to yeah. know that much about you because before they get that close with you. Um, Pinterest is another good one. Build mm -hmm. boards. You know, best bathrooms, best living rooms, mm -hmm. best anything that you are best in. Put it out there and put what you know about it out there. Um, and, and also, don't just stick to content in general. Build those videos. We are getting very lazy, all right? We refuse to read everything that's out there now, and there's not enough time. We also, um, um, even if it's a short caption on a picture, it's very rare everybody's going to read it. People respond to images and videos, yeah. all right? Take out your cell phone. You don't have to get a production crew, although this production crew is lovely. Um, <laughs> but you don't need that to just spout out what you know to the general public. And pick something. Don't be an expert on everything. Pick something that you are particularly good at and pick whatever you want to do future projects in. Because if you don't, you're going to get those crappy projects that you don't want to do in the first place. And, um, but seriously, make yourself an expert. If you can't find a speaking opportunity, create one. And as Mark was saying earlier, collaborate with people and find a showroom that you do business with and say, hey, can I come in and talk? Let's do this together. You know, we'll split a couple of bottles of wine and bring people in. And it starts small that way. And then people, good people find you that way. They go and they attend your event. And they're like, hey, yes. you spoke at this thing. Can you now speak at this thing? And so it kind of trickles from there, and people are looking for you. But also, and, and Kyle, I'll ask you to kind of vouch for this, but <laughs> editors look on people's blogs. So for future articles, they're looking about that topic that they're um, interested in featuring, and they're looking for people writing on that. And mm -hmm. so editors are looking for people, yay or nay? Well, I mean, actually, I mean, not just, I mean, the printed press, but also radio and TV right. and online press are doing is, I mean, they're looking for people who are experts in certain topics. Yes. And so yes. what we usually said about making yourself an expert applies to all of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mally, actually hooking back into the social media, yes. I think this event idea also is something because having an event and being part of it is a perfect way to feed naturally back into your social media in, in a very natural mm -hmm. sort of way. It's not you're putting yourself out there, but all of the attendees at the event yes. and people you've reached out to. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Oh, my event? Yeah. <laughs> um, or just about that process. Yeah, just, um, so it just occurred to me, you know, when you talk about things too, I'm always networking with designers because they're my people and I used to be a 
more of a designer and I'm segueing more to my fabric line. But I like a healthy, collaborative atmosphere to work in. I think that it rises everybody up. And I had this idea of um, creating some community in the Boston Design Center and just grab Mary in the corridor and um, from Jamestown. And she was so open and willing to just talk to me. And I was like, I've got this idea. A few of designer friends, we want to do a small event. We want to create community. We want to help community. And everyone has just been, yes, yes, yes. And it's, it's so uplifting. Um, you know, it's somebody's got to stand up and just say, let's be more friendly in the Boston Design <laughs> Center. And actually, it took me breaking my arm to realize how nice everyone was. And I'm like, interior designers get a bad rap. We're really very kind people. <laughs> and um, that's how it all started. So anyway. Well, if you have to say that, I mean, you're really <laughs> You know. So, but you are. No, no, no. <laughs> But I, 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 can I have two points? Yes, Sorry. by all. Not, not just one, two. No. Oh, two, okay. <laughs> um, when I started my business, I wanted to have my own events. And so I said, what do I love? And anybody in this room who knows me knows I love wine. Oh, good. <laughs> good so I said, I don't want to just have wine because that's self-serving just for me. <laughs> you know. So I wanted to have a purpose. So I, I collaborated with the women who own Bricks. So I'm a female business owner and they're a female business owner and we both, we all love wine. So we sat down and said, well, let's do events for the women in the industry um, around wine. So the architecture, engineering, construction is a very male dominated industry as is the winemaking industry. Mm -hmm. So we decided that we would host wine tastings four times a year for the women in the industry and only highlight wines made by female winemakers. And I just started it with inter in inviting a couple of friends in the industry and then it started ballooning and now people call me and say, are you the one who does the wine tastings? And, it, and for me it was like I, I paired my two things that I love, exactly. wine and the women in this industry. And, and I love the men too. But they the, sense the authenticity yes. of your purpose. Exactly. And, and we have you're not so much selling, fun together. You're actually showing yourself right. and branding yourself. Exactly. And, it's and my, the unselling side. My second point with events and networking and whatnot is there's no overnight success in this industry. But there is a tipping point. So you have got to put the work in with networking and relationships yeah. and meeting people. And you really have to churn that wheel for a long time. There's no overnight success, but there will be a tipping point. And there'll be a point where you're like, people know me. I, now the work's coming in. Mm -hmm. But you have to put that in initial work into building those relationships. And people say to me, how do you know everybody? And I say, I've been doing it for 18 years. That's how I know everybody. And I've been going to the opening of a letter for 18 years. I go to everything. <laughs> you know? So you have to put that time in. And, and then the tipping point comes. Right, and it has to be consistent. Yes. So it's getting your name out there consistently to the extent that you can, but just keep at it. I mean, that's especially hooks back, Mally, into something you said about social media, which is when you're there, you can't just occasionally put stuff up. If people talk to, to you. You have to be, you have to be able yeah. to be available consistently, at yep. least a little bit. Exactly, just send a smiley face. That's all people need. 
<laughs> but you're right. You not the poo emoji. You don't send the poo emoji. <laughs> not no. that much. No. I think, actually, I saw. Uh, now I'm going to blank out. Just, sorry, I'm getting to that age where things just disappear occasionally. Uh, Nicole Hogarty, I think, is here, who is kind of another queen of social media. I wonder, Nicole, did, has this brought anything to mind that you wanted to share with everybody? And I guess, I guess, are we doing it without the microphone, or do we need to? Sorry, not to put you on the spot or anything. So I am late to the game. I've been a designer for 15 years, but late to Instagram. But I love it. It's a celebration. So it's self-promotion. I absolutely agree with everything that's been said. Be authentic, but be curated. Really, it's beautiful imagery. It's really put yourself out there. Be authentic. Comment. Engage with other people. Post consistently. I post every day. 7 a.m. Um, God, I'm on the spot, but let's see. You guys follow me, so what am I sort of not saying? Um, but support people, brand yourself. I sort of do accessories, I do furniture, I do interior design, architects. It is just a pure celebration of interior design, but be consistent, be authentic, and be curated. And I would say that's sort of my takeaway. What's your Instagram? Nicole Hogarty Designs. I also think it's important to have an editorial calendar. We all worry or we all get excited. We post quickly. And we're like, oh, I have something. I'm going to put it on my Facebook. And then, you know, you trail off. You run out of time. You get busy. Something else doesn't go up. So we always talk about how often you should post on Facebook and uh, Instagram and the other social media outlets. And there is a, a pattern to that. But the important thing is for six months ahead, just project out what you're going to post about. Come up with your subjects. Try to tie them in together. And remember, make yourself that expert. So go on that thread of whatever subject you've picked and put it out there as much as you can. And then three months down the road, plan your next six months and so that it's consistent. And guess what? When you win an award, you can break that editorial calendar and announce that to the world. Um, when something big happens in the industry or you get invited on some big you know, manufacturer trip that you want to share with everybody, break that editorial calendar, put it out there. At least you're consistent. And the other thing that you should use is Hootsuite. And I'm from the South, and nobody can ever understand me when I say that word, but it's H-O-O-T-S-U-I-T-E. And it is, um, it allow, it's very easy to use, but it allows you to plan all your posts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, one thing I would add to this is that I like the word curated pieces that come up. And the beautiful images are really creative, uh, are really key. I think the idea, well, first of all, I think we should celebrate our world-class shooters around here. I, one of the easy things to do to, to say when you're at a marketing panel is to say, you know, shoot your work. And, you know, between Eric Roth and Brian Vandenbrink and Bob Gothard and Michael Partinio and Peter Vanderwerker and Greg Pemru and Dan Catrona and Annie Schlechter and others. You had your top ten. <laughs> I told you in every issue, right? But I think these are, well, these are people I like to celebrate with and they're the kind of people that we collaborate with. And uh, it gives us... Uh, materials you know to kind of be ready with but the key I think aspect for me um, is narrative because when you talk about curating and when you talk about what you're trying to say you know like what is your story and like what 
kind of things. And to your passion point, you know, our story is all about building things that last a long time, adding the kind of joy to people's lives that, that brings meaning to their relationships with their family and friends. And this has been a narrative we've been cultivating for a long time, and it, 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 it goes into the values that we share in our company too, which is a whole other talking point, because if your value system doesn't come out of your narrative and what you're saying in all of your marketing, A, it's going to be confusing, and B, as it was said before, you're going to attract the wrong kind of people. So, you know, our, we're, we're creating heirlooms worthy of preservation through narrative design. And when it, you can say that in a sentence, your brand ambassadors can bounce off of that in a whole bunch of different ways. The iconography that you send out, the way in which you tell stories to editors that write about you, uh, all have a focus that brings it back to your core values. And I think that's really important, values and the story that supports them. I think actually that's a point that can be expanded on a little bit because that idea of having a narrative to describe what you want to do in a sense can be expanded especially for people who are in a very small firm who are incredibly busy and have limited budgets. It's a narrative about what you do, who the top one or two or three audiences are you want to reach, and how you can actually manage to do that. So in a way, it would be a way of kind of circumscribing what areas of marketing PR you should emphasize. Yes. Do you want any yes. you want to talk a little bit about that? Kind of like how have you you know, not everybody will do everything all the time. So how do you figure out what are the two or three most important aspects of marketing PR that you ought to be making yourself do? Mm -hmm. I would say um, I wanted to spell a myth that we should all have a thirty second pitch. Mm -hmm. All right. The worst scenario in networking <laughs> is walking up to somebody, hey, how are you doing? You know, it just spills out of their mouth and they're so, it's so practiced and it's just, you see their eyeballs are widening, like, I gotta get this out. And, and then you're just left like a deer in headlights, like, well, how do I respond to that? Um, I think the best thing that you can do, and we've talked about, you know, this is the most inexpensive thing that you can do, is put yourself out there and network. And the best thing that you can do when you get to a networking situation is ask people about themselves. People love talking about themselves. And, and let's all be honest, we all love talking about ourselves. So um, I think the best thing you can do is situate yourself to ask key questions that position you to then talk about your business. And you know, if you're a builder, you might ask the designer, hey, what projects are you working on right now? Actually, anybody in this industry can ask anybody else in this industry that question. And it becomes very leading. And listen to what they're saying, because you're going to pick up on some key items where you can be a problem solver for them. And that's what everybody's looking for. So you want to ask questions, get people to talk about themselves, and respond in a way that they start learning about your business. So that's one. The other, and I've said it, is set yourself up as an expert. And my favorite toy right now that I use for my clients is native content. And I was speaking to Kathy earlier tonight about what native content is, and it has so many different meanings, or meanings, and, um, and my meaning is that any opportunity editorially where you get to set yourself up as an expert online. So millennials, even those non-tech savvy uh, retiree um, couples are out there doing their research 
online. It's where we look for all of our information. And you know, we go out and we grab the magazines and we tear out our favorite pictures and you all have that client that brings that to you. But they are searching feverishly online. So if they can find your website, great. But wouldn't it be better if they could read about you and what you do in other places on the internet? What that helps with is it helps push your search engine optimization so that when they're researching you know, historical renovation, that if that's what your specialty is, your website's gonna come up and all of your native content is going to come up. And basically, it's paid advertising. That's about a third to two thirds of your cost of print advertising. And I'm not steering away from print, because I still believe in print, especially in this industry. But um, what it does is it allows you to tell more than that picture that you're gonna put in an ad and that um, you know, contact information or the little bit of information that you can put in a full page ad, a spread, a half page ad, whatever your budget allows you to do. But it allows you to tell a bigger story. And if our buddy Kyle won't pick up that story, but you can write about it because he only has so many issues to populate, but you can write about that and you can take that opportunity to use that native content, populate it online, share that project that you did or how you're an expert in that um, niche market that you've created for yourself. And I think you know that's money well spent and you're gonna be able to track it because you're gonna be able to see the reaction online to that. So I think those are two good I think investments. Maybe we should say that if you know you're not a very strong writer, you invest in a copywriter. Invest in somebody or to do the editing. when you buy the native content, it usually does come with writing services. Yeah. yeah. You, you make a Because the last thing you wanna do is put out something where people are like do this. Do you have like, what is going crazy. on? <laughs> I mean, do you decide what you're gonna make? Your native content. Um, well, I actually, mean, I'm is it just the wrong person? Just uh, also just to kind of back up slightly. Native content is kind of a relative. It's also sometimes called sponsored content. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and it's a relatively recent development, particularly in online, but sometimes in print as well. Uh, and it's kind of a, a form of what people used to know as an advertorial. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's content that looks similar to the editorial content of whatever place it's going to be. Uh, but it's clearly branded as being produced by, in association with a company or another brand. Uh, and so like if you ever go to the New York Times website, you know, you'll see along the side, there'll be a little thing with a blue headline. It says, you know, from our, it'll say sponsored content or from our advertisers or something like that. And then there are actual stories. Uh, the difference is that it looks very much like and, and reads like editorial content because it's created in the same way. And so typically whoever you work with to buy it will have a staff that will help you write it and or put it together and kind of produce the whole thing. Yep. So it's kind of a, a midway sort of thing just to, to make sure everybody knows what we're talking about. Um, I'm not personally involved in that aspect of the business at New England Home, although our Kathy Bush Dutton in the back here, who is our publisher, would be more than happy to talk with anybody about that. Um, we're not normally this involved in the content of a, a bad talk, but we're obviously <laughs> verging on kind of what we do. Um, but yeah, I think those, those are all, and that, that makes it a new kind of arrow in your quiver of, of possible things to do for marketing PR these mm -hmm. days. Uh, we have a question in the back, actually. Uh, you know, how's has been a blessing and a curse. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say I've gotten a lot of questions on house about what I do, where I get it. I'm 
pretty particular about how I answer those questions. I did succumb to a $300 a month advertising to try to hit the Boston market because I'm in Providence. Didn't work. Um, just curious from you marketing people what you think. I have decided that that's a no-go. Um, yes. But I'm really curious what you have to say about it. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, now I'm the voice of God, <laughs> taking over. <laughs> no, um, I do, I think you're right. Um, and so, uh, I'd say five years ago, I actually worked with House to bring them into the design center. We hosted this whole How Do You House um, event. And it was great when it came out. And um, unfortunately, like many operations, um, they didn't, keep true to the word of staying exclusive and keeping only so many people in your market online. And um, I've, I've walked into situations with clients where they've paid for it and they've made a major investment and thank God you only spent 300 a month. I've seen a lot more um, thrown at house. And um, unfortunately, um, it's not any different than if you list online for free. And if you look at the analytics, it's very telling. And I look at all my analytics for my clients and I compare it across the board and those that paid, regardless of how much they paid, and I'm talking thousands of dollars, their analytics are no different mm -hmm. than my clients that didn't pay. And so, and it's nothing against house because I do think people go and they look at house. I think you can post on house and not pay. I think your free post is it's good enough. Um, as far as those conversations, I, I think, Kelly, you're, you're right. You don't need to answer was the paint color on the wall where did you get, did you get that, that light yeah you know what i'm happy to work with you this is a service that i offer my customers if you're interested please contact me right right like, i know 20 fucking years to deal with <laughs> <laughs> oh we're there okay John's filtering it back there. Can't edit that out. Um, in it's too late. In contrast to that, though, Daring Hall. I think Daring Hall is still a very respectful uh, social media site. And the way that they do it, they, they do um, edit a lot of what is out there. Yeah. And by the way, so is El Decor. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting them all the time. Yeah. yeah. What do we do, you know? And well, you don't want to work with the do-it-yourselfer, so when you get those conversations, just have a cut and paste ready to go and yeah. just say, call yeah. me if you want more information. Well, I think that's actually a good, uh, something I'd like to begin with, because that's what you just asked is a, a larger question, which is faced with all of these options, traditional advertising, you know, media events, book publishing, you yes. know, physical yeah. events, industry things, first-person-to-person -person -person networking, online, social media, what, you know, for a group like we have here of people with finite amounts of time and money, how do you best filter out or kind of settle on the top two or three things that will reach the audiences you want to reach and that are achievable for you? Uh, anybody want to kind of jump in on that one? I'll, I'll start with, I put my money into industry groups where I'm building relationships because when you have a pipeline and you, and you wait the leads, so for one of my clients, we waited the leads from House after a, a number of months of leads coming in and not winning. So when a lead came in from House, we could say 
you know, so, and we were paying also to be on house. We, it, it was a year and we said, we'll give it a shot. Um, right. With that one year of the amount of money we spent on house, we could have paid memberships to a number of industry groups and attended a number of events. And that would have reaped much more benefits. So I invest, for me and my clients, I invest in, in, in industry groups and events where I'm building relationships that, um, that grow referrals, where people refer me to work or my clients to work. So that's where I, I put, my number one money dollars is on that. Well, and it gives you a platform. So right. if you ever want to speak or yep. engage with the trade, it does give you a platform. Yep. Well, I would add to that too. We talked a little bit before about stewardship of the communities that we live in. Yep. And I'm not just speaking about this design community and construction community, but the literal Falmouth, Martha's Vineyard, Cape Cod communities we live in. Uh, we have a program in our office that encourages all team members to get involved in the passion points they have in the community, whether it's Sheriff's Medal, uh, coaching baseball, uh, being on the board of Falmouth Academy, uh, leading out on the Lyceum Fellowship. These are some of the things that go on. And, you know, it just kind of, first of all, we have gifts that a lot of people in the community don't have of seeing things, being creative, and being visionaries about how to solve problems. And the other thing we have are connections to money, let's just say it, meaning our clients have the ability, so like, listen, if I put all my time in, will you help us with this, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's part of our responsibility to do that, and that's really attractive, that's yeah. collaborative, and it has people leaning in. And those people that we helped create an opportunity to give to the community as well, thank us for that, and they refer clients our way. It's just positive feeling all around. Yeah. Right. And we, we encourage our clients to always put a philanthropic mission statement on their websites for two reasons. One, you get a phone call, and we talked about this as a group. You get a phone call, and it's the Firemen's Association. And not that they don't deserve you know, um, contributions, but maybe your philanthropic mission is to feed the hungry or to own the house. Or, How's the homeless? Thank you. Wow, I'm done. Um, but yeah, so it's, um, it's um, whatever it is, put it out there. And Mark, you said this best. Well, so it's what we did. It. You know, we, our, our philanthropic mission is to support heritage, housing, and design education. And so, uh, you know, if you do a couple big contributions it gets around to the development people who there's only a certain number of development people in any given community and then they find out oh well they so we'll hit them up for that and you just go listen you know this is my mission I respect what you're doing congratulations on that and uh, this is what I'm doing and actually uh, the four or five times that I've been really pitched hard and I've just said very clearly what we're doing I, 100 percent of the time I've gotten a nice note back or a phone call going wow that's great good how can I help you on one of those calls, so you know, play it back. But but you know it's just but it's authentic too, and it's got to be yeah. something like you started with you know wine and 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 women. You know, it's your passion point, and uh, if I was a bachelor, I'd say the same thing. But <laughs> but I probably shouldn't. You know, now that I think about it. But. I um, I also feel that um, one of our responsibilities is to um, help other people in our industry, and I think. Just competition is unattractive, and I'm all about 
you know, especially with young people, encouraging them, uplifting them, helping them out, and um, just being um, a good citizen um, to other people in your industry, and um, it does, you know, it flows back to you, definitely. And I mean, something Julie had actually brought up earlier, I mean, being involved on boards of, you know, cultural institutions mm, yeah. and industry organizations, um, and kind of working with philanthropy is also a very genuine way to cultivate that network of personal mm -hmm. relationships. So can we just take a moment and talk, because we did talk about what Mally's doing, but we didn't talk about what it is exactly, and I do think it sets up a nice marketing opportunity for people. I do, so I think you should say it. I think this is another product placement. Uh, yeah. no. I'll move mine out there. Uh, I didn't really want to do, I mean, it's philanthropic. It's, okay. it's right on target. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, it's a, the most simple um, interior design um, community building project that we could think of when we were sitting around drinking wine, me and my interior design girls, and that is a dining by design event. And um, I just saw Mary walk in. She was like, sure, have the space on the fifth floor. And, you know, it's humongous. <laughs> and um, so um, speaking to um, you guys and Kathy, and she, we were thinking October, and then she said, well, let's have our um, announcement awards dinner, um, uh, cocktail party at the same time, connections. Um, you know, the thing is that, you know, I like you guys. I see you at a lot of things. I've worked with you a little bit, but we're friends. Really? I mean, I'm not some blank person that walked into your offices on Harrison Avenue and said, hi, I'm Mally. I need you to do this for me. It mm. takes time right. to basically <laughs> put the little bricks in the walls. So it's going to be a three-day um, dining by design event some bar cards for the younger people. We want to encourage younger designers to um, just put their toe in the water. And um, we just, whatever it is, um, it'll be better than doing nothing. So um, it's sort of free form at the moment. We don't know. Um, actually, my friend Adam Jaffko, I was like, I don't know how many people are going to um, design tables. And he said, that's absolute nonsense. What you do is you work out how many tables there are, and then you sell them. I was like, oh, OK, Adam. I'll do it that way. <laughs> oh, yes, talk, Mary. OK. Is this thing? There we go. Hi, everyone. Uh, Mally, I have a question. What is the event called? Heading home to dinner. Oh, yes. Heading home heading is the home charity we chose. You can there explain you it, Mary. No, I just wanted you to say the name because I think from my vantage point, everyone's like, ooh, what is this? And <laughs> right. I think there, everyone's waiting for you to say, heading, heading home, home to, to dinner. dinner. Yeah. Anyway, that's and all. Then, and where do they go for information? Um, we have a website and everything. Okay. I mean, we're on it. It's headinghometodinner.org. And, um, makes sense. Yeah, and basically um, the reason, the connection is, and this is my last thing I'm talking about, then we're going back to proper social media, is um, that heading home, um, and uh, that's the connection, they house young families and they make homes for people and I just 
have met these young women that do this job. And I thought, well, that's what we do, but on another level. Right. And um, so it's such a good Marriage combination, between, yeah. yes, of what we do, fancy schmancy, and what they do to save people's lives. Yeah. And so, and they really love that we're doing it for yeah. them. So, um, uh, yeah, we can put up the website maybe on the. Do you send notes out at the end uh, of these things? <laughs> we are now. <laughs> John's going to email that later. Okay, <laughs> back to the matter at hand. Obviously, it's still in development. So things are looking okay. uh, We have uh, another question back here. Yes, can you talk a little bit about the importance or how important you think it is to cross promote other people that you're working with on a regular basis? Um, without actually promoting yourself? Um, okay, so I'm gonna take your question the way that I think I heard it, so. <laughs> um, now, I mean, it gets back to everybody's um, point here in the beginning about collaborating and being yourself and how you appear to others and how you would engage with others and, and just being yourself, but, um, you know, if there's somebody that you've done work with, that you believe in their work, because when you promote somebody else through whatever social media you use, it's like a referral. You're saying mm -hmm. this person is good. So you want to have worked with them. Mm -hmm. And if you want to do more work with them, that's a great way to engage with them and give them an opportunity. And again, remember, go back to whatever that specific thing that you are good at that you want to highlight in your social media and ask them to complement that conversation that you're having online with their input. And then vice versa, you should be invited back on their blog, and if they don't invite you, you may want to suggest it. But um, you know, go and have that cross-promotion and have that conversation. <coughs> um, and in that conversation, you want to tag their their company name, their website, their specific name. There's all sorts of things that you can do. Um, and please remember, whatever photography you use, credit your photographers, please. But um, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so, um, but that's 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 what you want to do. If you have not worked with somebody, you think it would be a great idea to invite them on your blog and have them say something. That's a horrible idea because you know if in turn you get a project with them and it just doesn't work out or in turn you've gotten them business through your blog and it didn't work out for somebody, that's a reflection on you and that's something you have to think of. Yeah, I would go back to, we call this being a gracious collaborator. Mm -hmm. And again, it's, especially for architects, we, you know, we're not makers, unfortunately. We get to work with a lot of makers. Mm -hmm. And uh, the craftsmen, the builders, the furniture makers, the stone people, all the ba people that actually make the houses we design are a great gift to us and to the people that, who get to live in those homes. And it has always amazed me that many of the shelter magazines ignore them. And I take uh, particular satisfaction in having some of the major builders on the houses that we've been featured on. Uh, I've been talking to Kyle and saying, you know, you can't have a conversation with me without talking to uh, the builder. And so now the builder is being interviewed in the magazine, which is even better yeah. because they bring a very interesting take on, you know, on, on how it got together. And then when the interior designer is, is uh, interviewed and part of it, the story and the whole narrative of the whole project becomes richer and more layered and more authentic to actually mm -hmm. what it took to make it. 
So I think this is really important. And in our ads, we're always putting on the edge, you know, who the builders are as well as who the photographers are to kind of, without doing a catalog list of everybody who's in there. But the, the major contributors, I think it makes sense to be uh -huh. a gracious collaborator. Yes. That's a small step, but I think it's important. Oh, I've just remembered something that you said in our pre-telephone call. And I think you said the most important marketing tool you have is always be as nice as you possibly can. And I thought that was such an excellent thing to say. You are always marketing. Every time you answer a phone call or sort out some problem or whatever, and you aren't being a douchebag about it. That is... Second favorite word. Second favorite word. Marketing. Every day. It's a medical term. It's good. So, you know, well, I just spoke to one of my favorite collaborators this afternoon who told me how pleasant it was to work with my teammates. And that would be one of the my favorite compliments about, you know, I like to hear about the work, but you know, again, it, it, you know, when you're collaborating inside the office uh, well and supporting each other and egging each other on to better and, and, and more creativity, it gets out of the box. It gets out of the office and it becomes part of who you are. And I think that's one of, well, it's clearly one of our values and we articulate and that. And it's out of your influence if somebody yeah. else is saying it. And that yeah. is what makes yeah. it really weighty. Yeah. It's also very important in the context of the work you do, because no matter how wonderful your work is, oh, yeah. if you're really difficult to work with, not as many of your collaborators are going to recommend right. you because they don't want to work with you. <laughs> exactly. So do wonderful work, but also be a really good colleague, I think. Yes, exactly. It's mm. a good well, question back Kevin? there. What I find interesting is we're talking a lot about social media and internet presence and some physical presence. As a builder, what I find from our clients is um, a desire to have regional knowledge. And when I say regional, it's not New England, New York, West Palm, it's North Shore, Mid uh, you know, Metro West, Cape and Islands, Cape and islands and pick one of them. And Mark, you've got multiple offices. Yeah. We're a seven-year-old company, I already have two offices. What do you guys think about, you know, there's only so much money that people have to invest in certain aspects. What do you guys think about the physical presence, um, especially for builders, I think, um, where skill sets of uh, mill shops are transferable and clients, you know, they ship all around the world. And I think architecture is similar, though I think that the regional presence is important as well. What do you guys think about the physical presence and location for folks like builders versus online presence? I think it's in tandem. Um, I think, you know, obviously the, the best tool that builders have are actual finished product. And I think if you have a client in a certain area, um, the best thing that you could do is tour them in a home in that area. And what the print advertising does and what online marketing does is once they've heard about you, whether it's through a referral or a friend or they've seen you in a magazine, whatever it is, wherever they picked you up, and we all do this. I mean, this isn't hard to understand that you go back and before you make a big investment, you research that person online. 
And so as long as you're backing up your presence with the branding that you do through print advertising and through online marketing. And so you want to have that local presence and you do that by having conversations about maybe some of the subs that you use in the area, um, some of the homeowners that you've talked to or worked with in the area, um, and you walk them through local homes. Um, but then you want to remind them, hey, check us out on this, 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 and this, or did you know we were featured in X, Y, and Z? And again, it's important to have a presence in that area, but it's also important to be an expert in what you do, because those are the two key decision-making uh, factors for, I think, any homeowner. So I keep doing that every time I come on. <laughs> so uh, we, we've done two books. And uh, the first book, Heirlooms to Live In, was interesting because we felt compelled to tell, we didn't have our narrative figured out completely. Sounds like we did from the title, but we were too interested in showing too many projects instead of editing and distilling it into a story that could talk about lifestyle and how people felt living in the home. Yeah. And we realized that was a mistake. And we started our second book, A Sense of Place. Has anybody counting these shameless plugs? I mean, I don't know. We, we, we're supposed to set an example here, right? Yeah, right, okay. But when we started working with another gracious uh, collaborator, uh, Jill Cohen, a book packager from New York that we work with, she said, you need to just focus on exactly the Cape and Islands. And we said, no, 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 we don't want to be locked in. We want to be able to do projects. We were trying to grow our ecosystem. And she was so right because the story, and we did that, we just dialed in to fewer homes that told a story about where we were. And, 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 the, and the, the pictures that we put in there often weren't about our, our work, it was about where we were and the joy of the Cape and Islands and the spirit of it and how we connected living environments to those places. And that's pretty attractive, it ends up. And so we have projects now in Vermont and Maine, and we have a project in England now. We've got a project down uh, in Washington, in Delaware. These are people who call us because there's a spirit in what they see and how we connect with place. And then we talk to them about our process and how we get them there. And uh, it's worked out. It's ironic because I didn't think that would happen. But the more specific we were about place, the more attractive it was in a broader distance.
again, I look at everything through the lens of relationships. So I think my two pieces of advice would be try to be the person you want to meet. Um, so there are people in this industry who I say to myself, I don't know where I would be if I hadn't met them. And I want to be that one person for someone else. I don't want to be it for someone else. I want to be it for everybody else. When people meet me, I want them to say, I'm so glad I met her. She made a difference. Um, and when you do find those people, when you find the people who are the people that you want to meet, be ride or die with them. Have, be their best friend. Have solid relationships with them. Um, there are women in this industry who are my best friends in the whole world, and three of them are back there, Tracy, Christina, and Jackie. Known them for, I don't even know how long, since I changed my name, so 13 years. Um, and I know that whatever I need in this industry, I can call any of them, and I will get it. And it's not just the three of them. It's, I, I have a lot of those relationships, but they're who's here. So, be the person you want to meet, and when you meet the person that you want to be like, be ride or die with them. Do you guys want to go? No, no, you go, you go. It's our turn, don't worry. You have you done all your points yet? Did you have 10 points at the end that you wanted to Have you done them all? Almost. <laughs> go on. Okay, I've got two points to make. Okay. One has one line and the other has seven points, okay? <laughs> no, I think the one thing that we haven't really talked about is just, uh, you know, do the best work in your ecosystem. I mean, we haven't really talked about the work, but we've been talking about marketing, but, you know, having something to, photograph, to, to photograph that's, and to write about that is, has a super strong concept to it is going to be key. key. Yeah. Because got you gotta have stuff. You can't, you know, and that's part of the authenticity of the whole yeah. thing. Defy convention and unleash your imaginations. I think that's important. Be a steward. Build once well, meaning focus on ever greater quality in every project. I would say be convicted about your strong ideas and your enterprise. Collaborate. Make a sense of place, meaning be in harmony with your client and with nature, and be authentic along the way. Those are my points that I think are important. Those happen to be the values that we uh, put on the wall at our office, and there's some subtext to all of that that is important to us, but uh, I really think those are the things that, that are kind of part of our narrative, and it's important to have thought through that stuff and write it down and actually make it something that, uh, especially when your firm grows, because all this marketing you're going to be doing, you're going to get more projects, you're going to need more people, and you're going to need them all rowing in the same direction. And if you haven't thought about these things for yourself and can't articulate them to your staff, you can't expect brand ambassadors, and you frankly can't expect your projects to be designed in a straight line. And the last thing, market most when you're busiest. I love it. I love it. And, that, and they're all good points. They're all very good points. Well, I don't know if I am like anyone else, actually. Um, I really believe in um, sort of understanding who you are, 
don't try and invent some person um, that you think will be like some marketing person because people will just see straight through it. Yeah. Um, so, um, and also, I don't listen to a whole lot of advice um, at all. That's so good for these bad talks. Uh, am I meant to say that? Uh, well, I mean, I just, I, I consider it. Right. Um, and then I'm like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> so, um, you know, I am all for um, just presenting the real um, person that I am, making um, my own way in the world, being kind, and um, doing a damn good job. Uh, customer service, bad customer service. Oh, my husband teaches me a lot of these things. When you lose a client, it is so much work to get them back again. Mm -hmm. So just keep them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's about it. So I know I get all the goodies at the end. Um, I would say, <laughs> well, no, I think um, it's important, and um, we're talking about small firms, and we all have different size firms, and small means so many things to different people. Um, but no matter how your firm grows, don't remove yourself from the process. Don't hire somebody like me and say, hey, it's all taken care of. Don't um, hire a marketing coordinator and put them in your firm and say, hey, it's all taken care of. Don't check in with that person from time to time. Remain a part of the process. It is a reflection on you and things are changing. And if somehow that gets away from you, you're gonna lose um, control. And, and, and to Mally's point, it's gonna take a lot to get that back. Um, and a lot of damage can be put out there when it's, it's public. So be careful about that. And also don't glue yourself to a process. Don't say, oh, I have to do 15% of print advertising and 20% online and, and come up with this great, um, I read too many articles where there's these perfect you know, combinations of what you should be doing. And that's just not true. I go in often and I say, hey, new client, what's your budget? And they freak out like there's a right answer. And there's not. There's not a perfect answer to every business and what they should be spending. It's whatever you put aside for that process. And, and there are you know, ways that I can guide you through what you should be spending. But um, more importantly, it has to feel right, your investment. But once that investment is there, don't put together a strategy for the year and say, this is what I'm going to do from now until the end. Um, because that's damaging. Because um, true to uh, design and everything that's out there, there are new products and new ways to market yourself that are coming out quicker than we can all keep up with them. And it's important that we all pay attention to what is out there and whether or not it's right for your business and don't feel the need to jump on everything. Um, there's a lot of new technology that's out there and I always tell my clients like, wait, let's let, let it lie out there for a year. We don't have to be pioneers in that field of marketing. Let's see how it works out for everybody else before you invest a dime in it. But don't glue yourself to a process. Be open to new things that are out there. To Kelly's point, we all fell in love with Hal's umpteen years ago, and it was a great process. And they still do a service to our industry. But you know, there are things now that are not working about it. We have to look for other alternatives. And I think that's important. And so in closing, I just want to throw a quick thanks to Mary Louie and the Boston Design Center for hosting the best.
I want to thank Kyle for uh, being the moderator for this year and all mm -hmm. previous years. You know, when you set this panel up, it requires a fair amount of work. Right. And Kyle orchestrates, well, first of all, it's like herding cats getting us all yeah. together to begin with. <laughs> yeah. But he does it personally, and then he has a theme and some ideas he's been thinking about because he's serious about the topic. And then he collates all of those and send them back out to us. It's a lot of work. Yes. And uh, I really think it means a lot to the community. And I mm -hmm. want to thank you for organizing thank it you. this way and getting everybody together.